Sorry, I'm already laughing. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. I want to thank True Digital Park for letting me record here today. TDPK, as we like to call it, is Southeast Asia's largest startup campus right in the heart of Bangkok. Susie, you may or may not know this. Uh-oh, I just did that. It's a complete startup ecosystem under one roof, including support and services from government agencies, the BOIs here, DEPAS here, the National Innovation, Innovation Agency is here, you can also get funding here from some of the most sophisticated investors and venture capitalists in the region. I'm looking around on this floor. Google has an office. UOB has an office here. And Huawei has a gigantic space here. You've got to come here to and see it to believe it. You'll be here next week, right? You're going to be yes, here for um, Texas? Well, I've been mostly spending a week visiting other startups and to get the Thailand ecosystems with Collider Accelerator. But I'm excited. Yeah, but I'm super excited to be part of like uh, tech source and see that as well. And plus, I get to meet you in person. So that'd be yeah. Cool. So you've heard the voice. And just to let everybody know, I am joined today by String Nguyen, one of the most all-around talented people I know, and easily the hardest working woman in Australia, and a video innovator and a new startup founder. How are you doing, by the way? You know, like, I have to say, I'm fucking tired in this amazing way. Because, like, when you're, like, I think I only say that honestly because I'm very truthful about how I feel. And people always say, how do you feel? I'm like, do you really care? But I'm tired, but in the most amazing way because I get to do what I love. Like, yeah. I'm grinding away with this startup and the accelerator is, like, I'm testing out my perseverance and my well-being. But it's the best so here's the thing right so i asked you how are you doing and you're like you may or may not care but i'm going to answer you truthfully anyway and i find this yeah. <laughs> no but i find this a really interesting question right so how are you doing is kind of a it's kind of a substitute at least in the united states for just hello but it's a question yes and when i ask it maybe most people don't understand but i really want to know the answer like if you and i were standing near each other i'd be looking you in the eye and asking you how are you doing because i care right and i yep. get this whole concept of like being ridiculously tired because i'm i'm dying anyway so <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the ironic thing is like i feel like people are tired but they pretend they're not tired Absolutely. and i have to say i am tired <laughs> <laughs> but like you said and think about this i bet i'm more than double your age and and i love this feeling of just like complete and utter tiredness right because it means i'm trying to build something from scratch just like you are and that whole concept of trying to build is so exciting for me that i work until i'm just about to fall asleep and then i fall asleep like it's amazing no well um if my life is a triangle right now and usually i say it's uh, marketing product and operations and my head is like in the product and operation side and I feel like I'm an asshole but I should be caring more empathetically with my customer so I realized like I'm more of an asshole now because I was like that doesn't make sense so like like I have to be like a bit brutal ruthless and like Maybe. it's actually built a, a bit of a disconnect with my product and my customer so I realized it's like I need to have, like develop a product where someone loves it to the point they don't mind my asshole nose yeah, so, so, so at the moment I'm the product side of me is making me an asshole, but I find that interesting <laughs> as well. Yeah, because you don't seem to naturally be that way. Just my opinion. Well, and, go ahead. Because when, like, because like when I go in a community building or right. when I go online, I have to be the relatable person. Yeah, fair enough, right? I mean, you have to at some level you have to sell yourself as a certain type of person, and I guess that changes depending on what you're trying to do. Why don't you give me a little bit more background on you, right? Like, where are you from? What are you doing? Well, I think the best way to describe me 
as a person is through my mother. She is a refugee that escaped the war from Vietnam. Wow. And and she was a single mom that brought up five kids by herself. Wow. And she's super resourceful. So what she did was like uh, she couldn't afford childcare or daycare, but she would chuck us at the local library, and that's like was my version of Google, and like uh, wait, and she pick us up after she did work. So and the local librarians love us. Because we were like really good kids. My brothers were playing chess and I was reading books and hanging out with Sigmund Freud, which I don't think he's the best mentor, but that's who I hanged out with. <laughs> Probably not for a young lady, Sigmund Freud. No, I know. But like, he was like fascinating because he was talking about like sex and that's like the thing that people seem to relate to on a basic human level. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Anyway, so that's like, uh, and along the way, um, my mom wasn't a typical Asian lady. Like she let me allowed to build up my personal development in my own way and I graduated uh, and became an artist but that wasn't sustainable so I realized I needed to become a business person and that's when I started my voyage on learning technology hanging out with startups and that's when I got into video and a video for me was allowed me to control my narrative and gave me a platform to share my truth. Yeah, so this is interesting for me. You seem super duper natural in front of a camera, right? Now, I like audio. That's why we're doing it this way as opposed to sitting in front of a camera. We will do that as well. And I'm not uncomfortable in front of a camera at all, but you just seem like natural at it. Where do you think yes. you get that from, though? Like, why? And I'm sure it takes tons of practice, right? Like, everybody that's good at something is not just born with it. Like, they, they practice at it. That's why I called you the hardest working woman in Australia. But where does that where does that come from? Because, like, I think it's easier um, sharing energy on camera, and it's a scalable tool. So I just, like, it's scalable. If I could, like, share my energy on the other person on the other side, they'd be even though it's one person watching on the other side, it's... It feels like a human connection. But imagine like having 1 million or 1,000 people watching you and sharing that same energy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I've been on stage in front of 400, 500 people, and it is really powerful, actually, just that attention and the ability to control, to control narrative and to control the ideas and to get people to pay attention to you is pretty powerful. But video gives this ability. Right? I always say that on a location-based thing, you, the only people that are listening are the people that are there. But sort of video and audio and the internet allows for this seamless distribution that can end up actually being global. So like yes. I said, millions of people can watch. That to me, I feel like is really powerful. So it's like I'm also learning how to pitch and I really realize my stage presentation is not so great because it's like if you describe your energy in a bubble kind of way, I had to yeah. like learn how to like release my bubble to 500 people like my bubble of energy to 500 people whereas like on video it's just like releasing my bubble to that camera but isn't that part of your brand it's that energy that kind of like you yes. said bubbles out of you it's like whoa it's so powerful i don't think people expect it maybe they look at the package and just when that energy just explodes they're like wow do you feel that a little bit because like i know how to turn it on and off so do it's you? like i'm Yes, because it's like a Marilyn Monroe, like she says, like people, she walks down the street and then people don't see her. But once she turns on that little switch, she, people realize that's, that's Marilyn Monroe. So what she does is like she turns on the light right. to be the magnet. So what does it take for you to turn on that light? Oh, uh, when I talk about things that I care about or when I know I have to like turn on that switch. So when like it's like otherwise, like uh, I know how to turn it on and off because like, what I do is 
become very still or quiet or like enjoy my own solitude because right. like there's someone else who's supposed to turn on their light. It's like, okay, they could have that light. I'm just going to be here to support. Do you have to psych yourself up? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know how sometimes before a boxing match, you can see a boxer kind of punching his gloves together and kind of shaking his head back and forth to just kind of get fired up to go do that thing. Do you have to yeah. fire yourself up or is it something where you just like walk into a room and go, okay, on, and then you just turn on? Uh, I have to because sometimes I don't want to hang out with people because <laughs> it's draining, <laughs> right? It's draining because like they take my energy away and that's like my power. So I, had to learn, I do have to psych myself up, but also I do it in a way that's like I'm, I'm going to control the setting. Yeah, let me give you an example. I was, um, I was speaking at the Paris Blockchain Week Summit in April. And I had to do the sort of penultimate panel. And it was at the end of the day. It was at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was completely exhausted. But you're not allowed to be exhausted when you're moderating a panel. No. And I literally was like in the VIP room just shaking my head back and forth and just trying to like get myself fired up and convince myself that it was going to be amazing. It turned out it was. But just that, that time just before, like you said, there were 300 and something people in the room again. And just getting psyched up for it was awesome. And then going out and do it was amazing. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, the, isn't it amazing with, like, when it comes to communicators or, like, the mental state needs to be triggered for you to, like, get ready for yeah. the presentation? So if you're not mentally prepared, like, even though, like, uh, you're not mentally prepared, but you have to be physically prepared, at least, like, the physical thing could take over. Yeah. And people will be like oh you were amazing but mentally you're like man i was fucking tired from life yeah. <laughs> and scared to death i don't know like yes. i don't tell this to a lot of people but i guess they'll hear this and they'll figure it out like every time before i record i'm scared about something i don't know what it is i don't want to mess it up i don't want to like say something stupid because i i rarely edit myself out because i want to be authentic i want it to be spontaneous i want people to hear the pro the thought progression right and if i mess it up i mess it up but I have this like nerves thing before I do this. And then once I start going, I just feel You're fine. fine. I feel fine. I feel like it's just a normal conversation. Sometimes I forget that I'm recording and you can hear it. Like sometimes I have to slow myself down <laughs> because I get excited as well. Yeah, and I do too. And I think I, like people, I remember like people would tell me, like, you should slow down string. And I'm like, mm, I could probably practice that, but I'm just <laughs> want to share my energy. Right. So people, yes. And I get like people correcting me all the time and I know they're well-meaning and well-intended, but I'm like, hey, I didn't become where I am today by listening to people. Yeah, by listening to you. Like if I had listened, not you, meaning string, but listening to you. If I had listened to you, I wouldn't be doing this. There's a whole bunch of other stuff I wouldn't be doing as well. Like think about this. Yes. So you've built this. I, I want to go through this progression if you don't mind, right? Because like I said, I've been watching you for a bunch of years now and I've seen this growth, but not just like the personal growth, but like the business growth, literally going from zero and then... Like, I don't know how many followers you have on LinkedIn and how many people have watched your videos, but how do you build that? I know it's kind of a general question, but like, can you walk me through how that works and what the ideas are behind building that personal brand and then maybe the use of video to do that? I'm really interested. Well, like, um, I kind of cheated my way through LinkedIn oh, by wow. being like, it's like Meekat was like the first, it's for people who don't know Meekat, Meekat is like the thing that before Periscope existed, a yeah. mobile live stream platform. Yep. And that was like my first foray of being serious or being committed to video because I knew right. video is going to be the, a tool that's going to like be around for the next 10 to 20 years. And you ha 
and it's a technology where I noticed like it still hasn't productized itself or scale itself out yet. So the cost of production for video is still quite expensive. Mm. But like five years later, like uh, our phone has become a powerful tool for videography now. Um, and that, that's just going to increase, I think. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is like I noticed this trend for video five years ago. And then like the, the week that I wanted to like hang out on video was the week that Meerkat kind of uh, uh, launched itself at South by Southwest. And uh. I just like, so I kind of like recognize when the opportunity comes. So I re- realized that and if being an early adopter has an advantage of being like the first point of like, you're like the OG. And when you have momentum at the beginning, you have that leverage and people will refer to you on a regular basis and will just follow you just because they want to know what an OG would do or how do they build it sustainably. So people who probably like growth hacking LinkedIn, like are probably getting sparkles right now. They like getting like numbers are getting into the head where the popularity came when they instead they should be think, focusing on like how to monetize and be sustainable and be a thought leader. Cause LinkedIn is like a different platform for me, Kat. Um, so anyway, like, like, so Meerkat died within six months. Yeah. Like, literally got squished by Twitter. And and I have to say, from a product point of view, Meerkat was a better integration of Twitter because I uh, growth hacked out of it because it was like a perfect synergy. And I was able to monetize Bitcoin from Meerkat to Twitter. Wow. How, though? Using emoji. Using emoji. So this change chip is like, hey, uh, Michael, I'm going to, like, send you a cookie. And that cookie is, like, worth $3. Yeah. So I was able to monetize that, like, and even did fundraising around Nepal's earthquake. Wow. So do you think this is something people miss, though, right, where they're trying to, it's the right word, they're so busy trying to build a following, get followers, have, like, millions of people do this, and they forget that the real goal of building the community and getting all this stuff is actually to figure out how to monetize a product. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, because, like, a, a lot of people, like, the, I guess it's the first-time experience about it, and then they realize they have a platform. But all they're doing is like they're not – it's good to test out your audience and your messaging, but if you're not productizing or monetizing, then you go lose their attention. So you need to do it in a way that helps you nurture and build up that feedback loop. So it's good for feedback loop. Yep. It's a great for feedback loop, but it's, but if you don't monetize, you have, you're have you losing – you're leaving money on the table essentially. So how does the fried chicken thing play into the monetization? It's something that I've always been curious about. So, like, fried chicken for me is just, like, a top-of-mind thinking. Like, it's just part of a – I guess, like, the journey of a thought leader should be like this if they want to go online. They needed to know who their personal branding is, what is their story. And the second part is, like, who is their customer and what service are you providing to help them grow. And the third part is, like, distribution. How do you, like, create content and distribute your content in a way that, like, brings more eyeballs to you? And the fourth part is, like – you know, how do you build up your reputation and influence on a sustainable basis? And the fifth part is monetization and systems. Um, and so the the fried chicken is actually the first part of personal branding. Right. Where it's like, where I have like a theory about personal branding, but essentially it's just like, it's a visual anchor. So every time you see a fried chicken, you think of me. Right. Like people literally yesterday, like a client took me out to eat fried chicken. Yeah, so I, I th- I've thought about this a lot, right? And I realized, like, the fried chicken thing to me always seemed to be like a diversion. And then I started thinking about personal branding and I thought, no, actually, this is a strategy. And this strategy has to work because who is your competition in the fried chicken space? Do you know what I mean? Like, nobody. KC. KC. That's it. But, but even I mean? KC. Even but KC is even like KFC. adding to 
Yeah, KFC's just adding to my value. <laughs> yeah, because no, but they must be jealous of you because what's the name? You called it KFC. You didn't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken because some something changed. Like I don't remember what it was in the last fifteen years, and they're not allowed to call it Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know why. I forget what the story was, but they went to KFC instead. But see, you're allowed to sit there and hold that drumstick in your hand and say, "Take me out for fried chicken." It, it, that yes. fried chicken is not associated with any other thing except with you. So it's not another brand. You're not dragging in another brand. You're creating your own brand. And when think when people think about string, they think about fried chicken. And I think that's really hard to do. I don't know how you came up with it. And to a certain extent, I don't care. But I thought that was amazing, actually. Well, like people came up brought, like if you look at uh, my messages, I have like about one or two people send me fried chicken. So it's like ridiculous thing about. <laughs> So it's it's a it's a way of giving them permission to hang out with me or to talk to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I and it's also a good PR move because like I know like it's all about digital footprint. So I like when a troll or someone who doesn't like me doesn't agree with me and I don't agree with them and I want to like be silly, I just throw them fried chicken shades of fried chicken. It's like you know what's original KFC and people just giggle. It's like in joke now. Yeah, but that's kind of interesting, right? But that's all that part of personal branding, right? And that's like you said, that was the first step. You want to just go through like what the next steps are, how you get to number five, yeah? Essentially what you need is like people don't realize that if you, if you want to monetize your uh, knowledge, because yep. essentially like every person has like expertise and knowledge. And like you, once you know who you're providing service and stuff like that, who your customer is, you could build an audience around your journey and your expertise because all they want to know is like how can they be like you essentially right uh, and people just want to know how to build up their personal brand or tell their story and use video as a way to scale up their story right so now that you're doing this stuff and scaling up the video um, mm -hmm. what do you do with shoots in particular so I was looking at some of the stuff that they do this is a video sort of production company at scale right yes they, they scale it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's pretty amazing what they're doing. They're like, give me your video, however terrible it is, and we'll make it great in 24 hours. Like, that's amazing, first of all. But what do you do with that? Well, like, I help them more the influencing side where, like, I help bring eyeballs to them and be a brand ambassador. So because we're both in the video space, he says, String, we love what you're doing. You know, can you help promote us and like share our story to the rest of the world? Which is what I'm doing right now as well. It's like as a brand ambassador, I represent them. And is that is that fun? Like, because it's kind of you're using your brand to help their brand as well, right? Yeah, it is. Like, I wouldn't hang. Like, we have very strong values aligned and stuff. And they're probably like in terms of like brand ambassadorship. I'm super fussy who I want to be aligned with. I'm really proud and happy that I aligned with them because, like, they taught me a lot as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I watched, I looked at some of their stuff and I was amazed at, like, the kit that they have and the way that they help you produce your video. I find it really hard. We talked about this, I think it was offline a little bit. Video mm -hmm. production for me, like, audio production is hard enough, right? But video production, I say to other people, is just more expensive. And I don't mean in cost necessarily, but just in time and effort. It's just well, so much harder actually, to do, no? It is in many ways. And also, like, maybe because, like, I, I feel like that's where the opportunity is as well. That's why the startup, I created a startup so I could, like, help flatten the cost a lot more because it's yeah. just going to increase in value. Like, the amount of videos being produced every minute is in, like, the millions. <laughs> I know.
<laughs> but so tell me more about this startup. We talked, to, you know, we talked at the beginning, you're a video innovator and a startup founder. So what is the startup you founded and what is it going to do? What's it called? What is it called? It's called Master Your Video and it's helping thought leaders scale out their video and presence online. Okay. And how do you do that though? By what's interesting is like, I realized like, uh, that many of them are probably like tend to be women or minorities who have expertise, knowledge in their head, but they don't know how to scale it out. And they're they're probably like corporates because it's like the first job they got into and they realize like their life is not fulfilled, but they want to like share the knowledge to the world. And it doesn't have to be like, I want to be the next Gary Vee. It's just like, I want to create meaningful impact in the world. So the impact is actually really important to me. I mean, you notice that in the list of um, podcasts that I do, one of them is called Social Innovation because it's it's very interesting to me and it allows me to use the platform that I've built to sort of tell stories about people in the social innovation space so I can talk about tech and fintech and insurtech and blockchain and all this other stuff and get people's attention. And then I can also convince them that innovation in the social space, social innovation actually matters. And that's kind of where I want to have the biggest impact. Yeah, I think it's really important. You, want, you, you already mentioned a little bit about women and minorities, right? Why is it so important for you to help them tell their stories? Because, like, in, in the world where we live right now, I feel like it's the stories is a bit lopsided. We only hear one story or from one particular group. Okay, so I'm going to jump in and I'm going to say it's not a bit lopsided. I'm going to say it's completely lopsided. But just and that's just to help you out. And again, if you look at the stories that I like to tell... I think you can see that I'm trying to skew it in the other way. But go ahead. I interrupted you. It's so funny that, like, I'm glad that you pointed that out because, like, I'm skirting around the issue. It's very white. It's very white right now. Or it's very white (laughs) male right now. (laughs) And, and they, like, they control the narrative so well because they have that platform. But social media has enabled us to, like, I... For someone who fits the stuff, like I'm a woman and I'm a minority, but I have created a pathway where I pretty much share my thoughts and become a trusted voice. That's something that I realize is like very empowering and enables me to share like what I see in the world. And people don't argue about it because it's my truth. And a lot of people's truth. And a lot of other people are truth as well, I realize now. Right. So one of the things that I like to say when I'm building out my platform is that diversity is not something you can bolt on later. And I'm not necessarily in a what I call a visual minority, right? I was born a Caucasian man on the East Coast of the United States. Like you couldn't have been luckier and you couldn't have been born at a luckier time, right? I noticed after living in Japan for 22 years that when you don't look like everybody else around you, something changes in not just your, not just in the perception of you from other people, but in the perception of yourself. You just stick out. And it's weird actually for me having lived in Asia, but in a, you know, in a country where I just stick out like a sore thumb, no matter where I went, it was obvious that I wasn't one of them, whatever that means, right? And I spent all this time trying to assimilate and fit in, and it, it didn't matter. Like, I did a good job, but you can only do so good a job when you just look differently to everybody else. Do you feel that? Look, you go to conferences all over the world, right? I've seen you in Silicon Valley, and I've seen you in Thailand. Those are two opposite ends of the world, right? But do you feel different from everybody else when you're in that room you know what i mean so i'm always like one of the few women in conferences and i'm always the non-white person in the space depending where i am so i'm always like the different one so i always like unconsciously have people just like 
who are hyper aware about me. And right. I and I realized like that could be a superpower or it could be something. But it's, I just used it now as a way for leverage. So I guess like video has like prepared me mentally to handle that kind of pressure. Yeah, and I always find this interesting as well. Like, do you can you said your mother was a refugee from the Vietnam War, right? And mm-hmm. went to Australia, which was not an uncommon thing back then. Um, but do you feel more Australian, more Vietnamese? Like when you're not looking, because I have this weird feeling, right? Like when I'm not looking at myself in the mirror, sometimes I actually feel kind of Japanese because I spent my whole adult life there. And then I look at myself and I'm like, that that's not really true. But I know the way I feel, right? When I'm in Vietnam, I'm, I come very Australian. When I'm in Australia... <laughs> Uh, it's true like you could hear the accent or the mannerism and but when I'm in Australia like I feel Australian but even in like white country like it's also like the frequency that I give right I yeah. noticed like that like I'm in a, like my sister lived in a small town and she's also in the small town and I noticed like um behavioral patterns with people who belong there and people who don't belong there so if you have an Asian person who, from outside the country like being forced to live there their behavior pattern is also for like, oh, I'm a low, lower being. Whereas like me and my sister, like who's like, we were born here, we have every right to be here. They treated us differently because like we acted like them in terms of mannerism. So it's, I realized like if you inherently, it's all about power dynamics. If you inherently say that you're different, you're giving up frequency to diminish your power. Do you feel like you're a role model at all to other women? Or to just other minorities, you know what I mean? Because like you said, at some level, it is kind of a superpower. You can walk into a room and everyone goes, wow, she's different. What is she doing? And then they pay attention and then you're in charge, right? Then don't you own it in a way? I have to own it because like otherwise, like isn't that what a leader is supposed to be? Like you just believe in your own confidence. And I realize like that's like the type of leader that I am is like I own my own capabilities and confidence. Like there'll be times where I diminish my value as well because that, that's something that I have to go through. But like now that I have my own startup, it, it's actually saying that I'm ready to like to own like my superpower. Yeah, so where does humility fit into building your own startup? You know what I mean? In other words, your mother, I'm guessing if she was anything like my mother, told you to be humble or taught you to have some amount of humility. And yet the startup world kind of requires this, I don't know, this alpha feeling of just like I'm building get out of my way and I'm going to build this into something huge so how do you reconcile those two things if if you need to I think if anything I just like like humility comes with like your only comes with the confidence to do something yeah right yeah and humility is actually like could be a deterrent in terms of like in being incapable and and it's not that I'm like I'm not proud of what I achieved or anything like that like there are moments where, like, I don't need to, like, say, hey, I'm a show off. Like, look at my Lamborghini. If anything, it's like I'm, I'm using that money to feed my family. I'm using that money yeah. to feed into my business. And I think that's the humility that I have. It's, like, just showing, like, numbers. It's, like, if anything, I'll just, like, let the outcome speak for itself now. Yeah, and you just brought up something really important to me as well. So when I was little, I must have been, like, 14 or 15 years old, right? My grandmother said to me, don't ever count anybody else's money. Right. And and I, I took a bunch of different meanings from it. And one of them is kind of like what you just said. Like, it doesn't matter how successful or how big or how wealthy you get. People don't know what you're doing with those resources after you get them. You could be feeding a family of 20 and nobody knows it. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of where that humility comes in. It's like I'm working really hard. I'm building something really big. But on the flip side, you don't know what I'm doing with 
kind of the spoils of this success. And in a way, it's none of your business. I don't know. I just find that concept really interesting. And But it's also like this, like, like I guess like when I have learned, because I was really scared of being famous because my right. ego is, because like, I feel like that would like change me fundamentally as a human. <laughs> Do you think so? Yeah, like I ran away from being famous or being like well known or established, right? But there's an like there's a difference between like being famous for being popular for the sake of being popular, and there's also like um, being well known for like doing something amazing. Yeah, so like you don't want to be Kardashian famous because that's stupid fame, right? It's just like you're famous yeah. because you're there all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to be known for having an impact, like for informing people and having an impact. Yeah. So I feel like there's like a sweet spot that it happens, like you to. In this day and age of the economy of attention, you do need a bit of a candy factor, whether it be your personality or whether you do something interesting. Like Kim Kardashian isn't right in terms of you have to be on top of mind. But like what you need to do is like, like even if you have candy, it's like just a honey of like the bigger picture of what people need to do. Like you're the substance. So if you could like establish attention and control attention, then you're winning. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, but I definitely do want to be the substance, right? I, and I understand the need to use candy as kind of a lure. I get that. But I kind of want other people to do that for me, if that makes sense. And I just want to be totally. the substance that results from that. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I'm playing the substance game as well, because like, if you want to be a full leader, if you want legacy, you had to play the long game. And a lot of people play the short term game. Yeah, I just don't want to do it. And I think people can see that and they're like, how come you're not moving faster and doing this other stuff? And I'm like, you know what? I've chosen this form because over time, I think it's going to be sustainable. And in 15 years, when I'm still having like long conversations with people that have substance and the people that are producing candy may or may not have passed by, I'm still going to be happy doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And which is a great attitude to have because like, um, because I know that it like, Video is going to be around for 10 years and I'm studying that journey now. And I think I'm just going to be one of those people who's going to be like that person everyone will talk to if they want to know more about video from a technology perspective. So I wanted to talk a little bit about tech and I'll, and I'll tell you why. You mentioned this earlier and I want to dig a little bit deeper if you can. In the old days, you needed like three three big cameras, right? Like three guys or gals carrying these Sony cameras on their shoulders. You needed big lighting everywhere and you needed all this equipment. And I was thinking about this because I was walking through a mall this week called Central Embassy, and they were doing some promo shots for Miss Universe Thailand. It looked like testing more than anything because they were like 30 or 40 young ladies all wearing the same sort of black outfit. And they had massive equipment around. And I just thought, why not just use an iPhone 10 for this or three of those things kind of thing? And I think you, you kind of alluded to the fact that it's democratizing the ability to make video. And maybe you can talk a little bit about tech for a second so people can get a better understanding. Well, I think that it's not like making film, like everyone has the tools and they think that you need to know how to like uh, create the technology, but the fundamental storytelling skills that is still there. If you don't know how to like grab people's attention or tell or communicate your story, then like even technology won't save you. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But isn't that, and, and that's the flip side of part of the problem too, is that now that everybody can make video, to differentiate yourself, you really have to understand how to tell that story in a way that is meaningful. Yeah. Yes, um, but going back to your thing in terms of like democratizing things, like there are so many resources out there, a little bit scattered, totally scattered, but there are enough resources out there like you could like create your own video now. Right. So how do you consolidate that all into this master your video stuff that you're doing? 
You know what I mean? Like, what are you actually teaching yeah. people how to do? And I realized, like, what, like, I'm testing it out, and I realized that people fundamentally want to know when they commit to something, they want to know them, that the things that they invested in early enough scales out to something that will make them money. Right. So how do you do and that? Though? So by, like, um, essentially auditing the first like the messaging it's like what is your story like fundamentally getting back to the basics of them because essentially they're selling themselves even though like because everyone who gone for the 10 years of being an accountant everyone has gone through that right but what's the point of difference of being on top of that it's you or that person who has been an accountant so there'd be like people who's like hey i'm going to look for accountants like okay i have 10 people with 10 years of experience who do i want to hang out with and work with who do I trust, like, learning my numbers? So you essentially choose the person that you like. So you have to sell yourself, essentially. And I think the person that you trust as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, like, people know that. It's like they just want to know the most efficient way of marketing is not, um, especially if you're a thought leader, is inbound. You want people to refer you to them. So you need to tell if you, if another person, like, for, you, for example, Michael, like, now that, like, you met me. Now you could tell my story to someone else. That's how you scale. Yeah, so it's funny you say that, right? So you know we had this interaction over the last week. You made a video for me, which actually was pretty awesome. And I used it. I posted it. I got a great reaction to it. And one of my other partners and the InsureTech podcast that I do, um, she said to me, who did that? How did you do that thing? And then I make the reference to you. It's so easy now, right? Because now that I can understand and tell your story, and now I know way more about you today than I did even yesterday, now it becomes so much easier to do, right? So, so that's just like one of the products that I'm offering to a lot of, because um, I'm testing out the product system, and I realize like I have to like start almost like a accelerator, like um, helping out other masters how to like monetize their thing, because it's just I productize in a way that's scalable now. And what I just need to do is like. Um, do it for other people as well and license out their IP to like help my people because I want to level up people. I don't want to squish people anymore. I've <laughs> gone through that. I've gone through that. I've done that, been through it, like being squished in so many ways that it's like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it on my own. And um, and that's probably where like uh, Master of Video is just essentially is like how do we like communicate and scale up knowledge in a way that's effective. Yeah, it's neat the way you're kind of integrating it into everything else you do, right? So and I feel like you and I are just on a similar path with a different product, right? So I try to integrate the podcasting into everything I do, and it looks like you're integrating the video into everything you do, which is great, right? Um, what do you do with QUT? You said you're going to be in Thailand, in Bangkok next week, right? So what is the stuff you do with um QUT? Well, yeah. QUT at the moment, like Master of Video is one of nine people who are startups who have joined the Collider Accelerator and okay. I'm one of the nine. So like my, I guess this is like my second startup. My first time when I did it was like a nightmare, but that was a learning curve that, <laughs> that was a learning curve that I needed to like um, pivot into Master Your Video. And then I submitted my uh, Master Your Video into this and got in. So essentially like I had a pretty successful set, uh, success rate in terms of funding now so far. And I think it's just going to get easier for me because I've been establishing my networks for the last five years now. Yeah, and now it's time to build something huge. Yes. Uh, if anything, like I've, um, 
I probably chose the slowest way to do it, but I think it's the most effective way because when I'm ready, I'm ready. Everyone knows that I'm committed to what I'm doing now. I'm on a mission. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll let you go in a second, but I think there's an optimal speed to, to build something, right? And I don't necessarily think rushing is the right way to do it, but definitely controlling your own speed is almost important as controlling your own product, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, well, we could test this theory out, right? Because, like, yeah. you know, so the last three months, like if anything, I noticed like um, haven't hung out with my customers or marketed that a lot. It's just because I'm in a product mode, but it's a lot of fun just like being product mode. So if anything, it's like like testing that theory out is like um, allowing me to scale out my thinking in an interesting way. And and I was able to like do it for you with uh, with the golden nugget and able to do it. Like so, I want to know your data on that one. And I'm glad that other people are noticing their results because it just stands out. Yeah, I'm looking at the graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm super happy to share the stuff with you that that comes out of it. I actually loved that video. As soon as I saw it, like I got a little bit of a chill because I've wanted to do that type of thing for the longest time. Pull a little nugget out, right? Um, and then turn it into some video thing. That's that's a little bit of candy, right? To attract people mm-hmm. to the bigger story and the substance. And I think it's working. I think it's really it's working. It's good. And because I, I have a social media background, so I was just like cleaned it up the copy for you. And it's like, here are like the frame, here's the framework of what a good copy is like for social. I liked it. Um, uh, and plus, like, the, these are things that I'm developing in Master of Video. It's just like, I realize it's what I'm doing is like doing the user journey of a for leader. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that type of video is actually going to be super helpful for the types of stuff that I'm doing as well. So thank you for that. No problems. I'm glad that it worked out because I knew it would be very successful. <laughs> and yeah, it was easy. And to tell the truth, it was easy to cut your videos because you had like over 20 golden nuggets. It's just finding the ones that was relevant. Yeah, I mean, let's be fair. That conversation with Daniel was amazing. He is he's super brilliant, actually. If, just to refer, like a reference, everyone like I cut Daniel Mag's uh, interview about yeah. like um, that was a really good podcast, by the way. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I think the best ones are really where the guest just like kind of takes over and just talks and talks and talks. It was just fascinating for me. Anyway. Oh my, I probably did that a lot today. So I'm just like thankful to give him the opportunity to share my story. <laughs> well, um, look, you know, I've been chasing you to do this for two years, maybe three years. I can't remember how long it is when, when Zach and, um, and Ben introduced us. And I'm just happy you took the time to do it. So I really appreciate it today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for chasing me and pushing me because I was like, I'm not ready yet, but I feel like I'm ready now. (laughs) You are, and you definitely were.